Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. So if you've been following along with this podcast, you'll know that the average caregiver in Texas is a middle-aged woman who is taking care of her parent and sometimes children as well. We've also had a, a guest uh, on this podcast to speak about his experience as one of the 40% of caregivers who are men. But it might surprise you to hear that 25% of caregivers are actually millennials. What? Caregiving is so often thought as a task for older family members that we sometimes overlook the value of including people of all ages in the caregiving experience. So today on the podcast, we've got two guests to share the the science and the stories behind millennial caregiving. So with us today is Wendy Fox-Guage, who is a Senior Strategic Policy Advisor with ARP Public Policy Institute. Wendy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Isabel Longoria from the ARP Houston office, who is a millennial. Isabel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So Wendy and Isabel are going to share their insight and favorite resources about millennial caregiving. So if you think you have to be 50 or older to be considered a caregiver, I'm encouraging you to think again. Coming up on Prepare to Care. So Isabel, let's start with you. You're a millennial caregiver. I am. I'm squarely a millennial. So I just turned 30 and a couple of years ago, uh, my grandmother who had been living on her own Uh, had a series of falls her caregiver at the time he got into some health issues and so we had grandma we didn't know what to do with her and my dad and I um, decided it would be best to move her to Houston to live with my dad full-time as long as I could provide a supportive role and so that's how I got thrown into the caregiving role Um, and it really starting at ARP I would never even have defined myself at that had I not been working at ARP and really understanding that caregiving is much more than just kind of the nursing tasks of bathing people or changing people, Um, but it's really about the social and emotional needs as well, which is where I come in as a caregiver. So was it like an evolution in the, in the caregiving? Did she do like, what, what, how did you start being a caregiver? Yeah. So at first, uh, the home that my father lived in was four stories, all stairs, nothing was on one floor and I had a one floor house. And so my grandmother actually moved in with me for two months because I, can, I had the kind of house where she could move, there weren't stairs, there weren't carpet, um, until my dad could find a place that was suitable for her. So basically over those two months, he was looking for an apartment. I took care of her and had most of her, I was there with her every night after work, I cooked dinner, I took care of her dog, uh, I made sure she got out, we found her a hairdresser that she liked, and dad was very much taking care of the figuring out um, health insurance, Um, figuring out a place to live and he would come visit her during the daytime so that was kind of the initial crisis mode as I like to say and then we transition uh, to him really being the primary caregiver she living at home with him because he had a better schedule Um, and then I go now once a week to take her grocery shopping which is really her social and exercise outing as well takes a lot of miles to walk across the grocery (laughs) store Um, I get to see how she's managing her nutrition and kind of help her make some choices Um, but she up until a couple of weeks ago was able to make her own meals was very mobile um, 
And then I would go every Sunday for lunch as well. So then we did a big family lunch and those were really her social outings. Uh, and then I became in charge of kind of her social life, finding a different benefit she might qualify for because I work for ARP and have access to that information. Dad really took on more of the immediate everyday care. Um, and then even my brother to extent takes care of all the extra stuff. So sometimes when we need help with the dog or we need help transporting grandmother somewhere, he has a bigger car, that's where he steps in. And then, you know, in this evolution, a couple of weeks ago, my grandmother fell and she went to the hospital. Um, and as we know, with most caregiving stories, things change all the time. So we had something, it worked for two years, and now uh, I am using some hours to be with her during the day when my dad can't be there because we're not quite sure she can be alone anymore or we're not quite sure what her fall risk is as she's recuperating from the last fall. So it's always changing and dynamic to what the needs are. So as a millennial, like how does this work? Like you say, oh, you guys go drinking. I'm going to go take grandma to the grocery store. Yes, that's exactly how it <laughs> happened, actually. Uh, every Tuesday, I, I blocked it out and my friends have finally gotten used to, you know, don't don't call me up on Tuesday. But you're right. Uh, you know, yesterday, for example, I, I was with my grandmother. I stayed the evening with her because my dad's out of town. And that's one of the arrangements we have so he can get a break. Um but, you know, my friends called me up and they said, hey, we want to go out to dinner. Hey, we want to go to happy hour. Where are you? And I said, you know what? I'm on grandma duty. And there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, oh, maybe I can leave grandma. Oh, maybe she'll be okay. And and what I have really told myself is, you know what? She's 85 and I really want to spend that time with her. Right. And I have plenty of times to go drinking. But, um, you know, I've noticed that, that I do miss out on some opportunities. And it is hard for my friends who are millennials or just past that who don't have caregivers, or I think some of them, interestingly, are starting to have kids, and so maybe they're starting to balance that out, but very few of my friends are doing what I'm doing in taking care of either parents or grandparents or anyone else. And then when she lived with you, like dating life, social life, like how do you manage that when you have like an 80-something-year-old yeah. in the house? Um, well, I uh, though I came out at 18, I'm actually gay, and I had never come out to my grandmother, and I was dating someone at the time, and that was one of the big changes is I had to come out to her with within the first week because, you know, I had a girlfriend and she rightfully said, hey, <laughs> I'd like to see you. Are you keeping me hidden from the family? You know, that's something everyone has to negotiate. But, um, you know, I think that if my grandmother weren't living with me at the time, um, that conversation would have gone very differently. Um, so having to come out to her and now we can talk about my dating life. Is she happy about it? Does she struggle with it? Absolutely. But it's a conversation that had to happen and is out there now. Um, same with friends. Having friends over was very difficult because at first my grandmother was skeptical and had a lot of judgment of friends with, for example, tattoos, which is very taboo for her generation. Right. Uh, and I think there's been some learning opportunities for me either to say, hey, I'm, I'm not actually willing to hear you make fun of my friends for having tattoos or let's talk about that. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Um, but again, had she not been living in my house and really depending on me for care, I don't think those conversations would have gone how they went. Um, and so it's been interesting that it has provided us the opportunity to get closer. Um, and conversely, she shared, has shared so much family history with me that I didn't know, both good and bad stories, um, that again, it, there's a kind of access that I didn't have before, especially when she lived in another city, that I'm really concentrating on being grateful for those moments even during the horrible, stressful times. <laughs> okay. So there's growth on both sides and yeah. then also a lot of challenges. A lot of challenges, yeah. So Wendy, I mean, you, you heard Isabel's experience. Is it based on your experience of what you know about millennial caregivers, is it a typical story? Is there a typical story? 
Well, it's interesting. I don't think there is a typical story, right? And I thank you for sharing that. Um, and, and kudos to you, because I think it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to juggle a dating life and, and being employed and working full time and taking care of grandmother and dating. And so um, uh, your grandmother's really lucky to have you. Um, you know what? We are hearing this more and more. I mean, isn't that surprising? One out of four family caregivers are millennials, and it kind of bucks this stereotype that we have or that millennials have of kind of being, um, you know, um, all about me, me, and I'm entitled, right? Those are just kind of the, some of the stereotypes that we hear. And this, you know, the one out of four, that really bucks that, that stereotype in a big way, doesn't it? Is. It is. I know. And, and so, so kudos to you. Isabel. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, do you, by the way, Isabel, do you know other millennials uh, in your inner circle who are also caregivers? Not directly. I know a couple of folks who mentioned perhaps taking care of their, their you know, I have one friend. I'm, I'm struggling to think of it is mm, what I'm saying. Yeah. I have one friend who I know is a long distance caregiver for her father who has Alzheimer's. Uh, I have another acquaintance who takes care of her mother. Um, but again, most of my friends are going through the age of caregiving for children, right. Right. Um, which is much different, right? You have mm-hmm. a lot of control over a kid's life. And yep. I think the difference, too, between a millennial caregiver is you're, dif- you're dealing with a different power dynamic in your family. You know, if someone has been your parent or your grandparent forever and they've had a lot of kind of you know, power and control over their life and your lives as well, and then all of a sudden they have to cede some of that to you, or they have to. We have to renegotiate what that looks like as a family. Um, you can't parent a parent, right? You can't parent a grandparent yeah. in the same way that you could parent your own child. That's a very good point. Is the power dynamics uh, of the caregivers when it's two generations removed? It's very different. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience of what have you heard about that, Wendy? Um, well, what one of the things that strikes me is, is you know, here we we both work for AARP, with which people really associate being an aging or aging organization, and here we are, we're talking about millennials, and I just think it shows you, certainly with the demographics that we're having in this country, that really when when we look at aging issues, it's really a family issue, isn't it? And I think it's. I'm a bit older than you, and my friends are all going, it seems like we're all going through this, and we're all talking about, it's a kind of a double whammy, not only are we're talking about our children, but at the same time, we're also talking about caring for our parents at the same time. So I think we're seeing some really, really interesting things, but I think, you know, in in the past, when people thought about, you know, aging and long-term care, they immediately thought nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't even spoke, spoken at all during this podcast about a nursing home. We're really talking about family caregiving. And that really plays out very true across the country, that our biggest providers of long-term services and sports in this country, they're unpaid family caregivers of all ages, from millennials on up. And so, um, yeah, I, and I, I think we're going to see, especially with the aging of our of our society and the aging of baby boomers, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of this. I think you're bringing a very interesting point, which is caregiving happens in the family. Even the decision to take somebody to a nursing home happens in the family. But in the phases before, you know, anybody has to go in a nursing home, a lot of tasks are happening in the family. And Isabel, I think you, you brought in a very interesting point, which is so you have a brother, and then he, he's like in charge of the dog. So it's like these, mm-hmm. these like three times removed. But what we think of caregiving is sometimes not the primary caregiving, but just what we call ancillary tasks that maybe help the primary caregivers. Yeah. 
And something I want to add to is that, um, you know, my dad is Mexican. My grandmother is Mexican. For us and for her, there, there's just not a question. She's not going into a nursing home. One, because we're not even quite sure if we could find a nursing home that spoke Spanish to the level that she would need it. But two, just as a family discussion, it, it's just not happening. We might hire an outside caregiver. And so I was curious if there's any data on kind of, is that what you see from millennial caregivers? Is there a cultural difference? Oh, we absolutely do. That's a huge uh finding matters is that, you know, millennials really are the most racially and ethnically diverse group of family caregivers that we have. Um, and some caregivers are um, providing tasks such as you described, and others are really providing incredible, incredible amounts of care, doing very complex medical, I mean, almost like nursing medical tasks. So we're really seeing a wide range. Within that, yes, if you look at the millennial family caregivers, we've got about 34% Hispanic, Latino, 31% Asian American, 29% African American, Black, and, and just 20% white millennial caregivers, you know, are our higher kind of higher hour caregivers. And then within that, in particular, Hispanic um, millennial family caregivers in particular, they are facing even more intense pressure than others to balance both work and family caregiving more than other millennials because um, they not only spend more time on average at work, but then they also frequently are providing e even higher levels and higher hours of family care. Interesting. So so really what are ideas, the, the ideas that, that, that various uh, groups have about the family? And, and the ideas, I guess, of, of how seniors are treated or their role in the family influences the caregiving across generations, yes. is what you're saying. And then millennials yes. are part of that. Right, right. Are there things, like in general, that, that, that work and don't work in intergenerational uh, caregiving? What, what have you observed? Um, well, what we've observed is, is that um, millennials want information. They caregivers. They they want information and they seek information. Um, we know that um, you know most of them consume some form of caregiving related information. Not the vast majority, almost ninety percent of millennials consumed information to help them with all these different tasks we've been talking about from at least one source. Now, where they're a little bit different than other generations is, as you can imagine, is is they are really apt to get a lot of information online compared to older generations. But again, they're um, out at talking to family, friends, you know, some of the, kind of the other types of sources of information that we, that, that we think. So in that way, very much, um, you know, have, have that same commonality of um, uh, seeking information to really be able to, to to, to help their loved ones. Yeah. And, do, do, oh, go ahead. No, I just wanted to add for, uh, that just made me think that as a millennial caregiver, one of my tasks has actually been helping my father with the computer. So it'll be actually mm. going online, filling the different applications, for example, for Medicare, Social Security, Affordable Care Act online. And then it's my dad who ultimately makes the decisions. But it's almost this kind of caregiving for dad too, to like line it up, to figure out the computer. That's my task. And then he still makes the different caregiving decisions. Do you do online research also, like finding doctors or finding things about medical conditions? Or Absolutely, yeah, because I feel so much more comfortable navigating that. Right. You know, once we got her signed up for health insurance, then dad was like, well, we need a doctor. And I said, oh, great, you know, go on the website, type in. He's like, well, I, 
I don't do that. Or, you know, when doctors, I'm the person they call. I'm the primary person they call or email because my dad doesn't like handling phone calls. Now, that's a different, you know, then you start getting the family dynamics. But again, this kind of negotiating technology for the whole family now. Correct. And then I'm I'm guessing, uh, you know, if you're dealing with what I'm guessing primary caregivers, maybe physical therapists or so, a lot of them are coming of age who are millennials. So they, they may be comfortable like texting. You know that uh, maybe another person might not be comfortable. So, um. yeah, and, and another difference that where where millennials are a little bit different than other types of caregivers is is there and that where they have a tougher, quite honestly, is is that they are newer in their careers mm. and the and the majority of them are working, but they're not making as much money yet as the you know older. Uh, caregivers and they're having to establish themselves in their career and so really where I think Millennials could use some help is is in and, and they're oftentimes um, because it because it is a little bit unusual right? right caring for a family caregiver they're not as apt to be open and discussing with their employers why they might need to leave um, it, it that's very difficult when you're trying to prove yourself um, right. Isabel is really lucky that she works for, and I, that I'm really lucky too that we work for an employer that gets it right but I think this is where we're talking about things that can improve and get better for Millennials I think we're gonna need to have gonna have need to raise awareness with this and that's why I'm so happy with this podcast because I think Millennials are gonna need more uh, work time flexibility um, so that if they do need to go to a doctor's office if you do need to take some hours off during that nine to five day that you can do that and then I think we need to have some very serious conversations in this country about workplace leave in general in actually general. <laughs> I agree I know, with you I know that's a whole other can of worms but um, but I think sooner rather than later we need to be having those conversations it's it's true and, and just to add my experience you know I, I think often what if something happened to my dad and then all of a sudden I had to become the primary caregiver overnight um, I would definitely start seeing a sacrifice in my work because there's so many things that I do after hours for AARP and other organizations that I volunteer for. There's no way I could manage that and still keep on track for my job or keep on track with my social goals, et cetera. You're right. And especially early in the career, you're right. People have to prove themselves. Uh, there's less flexibility. They're generally not yet in position of power uh, where they can negotiate with an employer. That, that makes a very difficult situation. Are there specific things that ARP is, is doing? I mean, are there specific things that that are happening that might affect millennial or things that ARP is advocating? You're talking about leaves? Sure, there is. Uh, and actually, what I wanted to do is take just a minute or two to talk about some resources that we have that yes. can help millennial caregivers. So we have a wonderful publication. It's called Prepare to Care. Um, and it's a planning guide for families. And my favorite part about this guide is, and, and we've, we've translated it, not only it not, it's not only in English, but we've translated it into Spanish and some other languages. My favorite part is actually what's in the back of the book. And what's in the back is like a whole guideline of how, of how you put together a plan. And I just think this is, it's free, by the way, it's a free resource. You can get it on our website, which is www.aarp.org. Look up Prepare to Care. Um, and it's excellent. It's excellent for um, talking about med- a medication chart, finances, et cetera. Some of the things that Isabel spoke about earlier, this is a great way to, to 
to have a good game plan. It's a great resource. Um, we also have a wonderful website that is a, a, a magnificent resource for, for family caregivers of all ages. And so I would point you to that as, as well. And then of course, um, we're very strong on advocacy. Family caregiving is one of our very, very top priorities. And so we'll just keep plugging away at it. Yeah. And it, we also have the employer toolkit. So if there's employers out there who are looking for things to do with caregiving, there's everything from what AARP does, which is where, um, and what I have used even today, is taking caregiving hours. So it's hours that you have just for caregiving that are different from sick days and vacation days. Um, but also AARP, if you can't provide that, that's fine. Flex time, right? Mm -hmm. So much of our work is done from the computer. Does it really matter if I do it at my desk or at home as long as I'm answering emails? So there's some things we can do to think differently about caregiving in the workplace. And at minimum, um, if you work in HR, if you have that control, can you just send an email to your employees and say, hey, check out ARP, check out the area agency on aging, yes. maybe once a month or once a year so people know, or what is your HR department doing for caregivers? Even sending that kind of information out so people know there's options instead of, getting frustrated and quitting or never asking for help. And so what I'm hearing too is, okay, if you're a millennial, you're not over the age of 50, but you can still go to the ARP website. There are some resources out there and some good ideas for things that you can do for yourself and for your job, right? Um, so uh, this is almost all of the time that we have right now. So Wendy, Isabel, I'm going to ask each one of you in turn, if you had one piece of advice for millennial caregivers, Isabel. Uh, one thing that I learned in retrospect is just take it piece by piece and meet your family where they are. Uh, I think being the millennial, I had access to technology and resources and et cetera, but for as much of an expert as I might be, at the end of the day, I'm still the granddaughter. And so just being patient with that uh, evolving kind of caregiving role. Okay, thank you. And mine is you are not alone. Uh, <laughs> we're, we hope uh, we've got some resources and, and some tools and some advocacy that, that can help as uh, people are on this journey. Okay, so folks, you've heard it. Be realistic about where you are and you are not alone. There are plenty of resources out there. Um, Wendy, Isabel, thank you for sharing today. Thank you. Um, so today we've spoken with Wendy Foxgrage and Isabel Longoria, both with AARP. Um, as always, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast. You can find it at iTunes, SoundCloud, or on the AARP website, which is www.aarp.org slash Houston PTC. Take our Prepare to Care podcast survey to help us improve future episodes or find other caregiving, planning, and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for caring.